0: You're listening to a Cripple and Co-Production.
1: We call it flicking the Bean, Choking the Chicken, Giving Yourself a Hand, Auditioning Finger Puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five-finger shuffle, and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging, or illness. That's where we come in, if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy so people with limited mobility, hand issues, and disabilities can celebrate Palm Sunday just like everyone else. If you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure, help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need. Give the gift of the big O at GetBumpin.com That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by clonawilly.com Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code darkpod at checkout, You can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone a willy or clone a pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own Clone-A-Willie or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned.
0: Hey Andrew, how are you?
1: Hey Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super really really. down.
0: Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that.
1: Well, you you and I talk all the time, we talk every day, and you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been to Mm -hmm. therapists before and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right?
0: Yeah, I hear you have like a whole podcast about it.
1: Right? I mean, I talk about it all the time everywhere. And I'm just worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist, like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff, you know?
0: Yeah, that's fair. You shouldn't have to, like, fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process. And I think that's really hard because, honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it.
1: You get it. You're my best friend. You get it. What do you think I should do?
0: I mean, I think you should find a disability-informed support person to help you work through this. If anyone listening to this is interested, I'm actually offering disability-informed support for $40 per session.
1: Whoa, whoa, $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over a hundred bucks, but we can still talk about disability stuff, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live. Experience it's and really so basically. fun, isn't it? It's, it's so It's so great. The best. yes.
1: And I, I know you also do, you also offer support for non-disabled people too, right?
0: Yeah, I do support for and non-disabled people as well because really, I mean, everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life and well, that's a different experience than living with chronic disability, I think it's all very related. And if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support.
1: I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that?
0: Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com. And you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me.
1: Awesome. Well, I, I can't I can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing. I'm so excited that there's finally disability-centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about and thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there Kristen.
0: oh thanks andrew i hope you feel better soon
1: me too thanks bye bye content warning the language content and discussion found within this episode of disability after dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised.
0: This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew
1: Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Hello, I'm your deliciously disabled, delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get today's episode started, shall we? I just want to say happy happy Pride to all my queer disabled friends out there, I know that this month is not easy for a lot of us who are queer and disabled because of the ableism we experience during Pride and because of the ableism we experience within our own community of queers. So I want to say to you, if you're queer and disabled, this Pride, I see you, you're valid, your sexuality is valid, and you deserve a space at the queer table and if you have to make your own table go ahead and do that but i just want to say that i see you and i support you but now let's get to the awesomeness of today's show just before we jump into who i'm going to introduce to you today i just want to say that i have a lot of interviews that i recorded back in 2021 so sometimes when you listen to the interviews coming up a lot of them will be you know i try to Mix and match some, and I take some from from today, and then I take some from that I've recorded last year. I have a lot that I'm getting through, and so I'm, I'm working through them from last year. So, the interview you're going to hear today was recorded in 2021. I recorded it with my friend Lindsay Mixer, and let me tell you all about her. Lindsay is somebody who's really cool. I saw her at a conference that I did virtually in 2021 in Ireland where I talked about sex and disability, and she talked about sexuality, disability, and fan fiction. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And so I immediately knew that I had to have her on the show. So on the episode today, we talk about the importance of disability representation in fan fiction. And what I love about this is because it tapped into... I'm a giant nerd. And so it tapped into my nerdiness and my extreme, like, nerd self was like, this is really cool. We talk about why... Disability representation in certain fan fiction is important. We talk about sex and disability, and also we talk about her diagnoses of fibromyalgia, PTSD, and autism, and how they all go together. Plus, so much more. She was really, really fun to sit down with, and I loved delving into to the fan fiction and being being a huge nerd that way. And I really, really hope that you enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here's my interview with Lindsay Mixer, right now on Disability After Dark. Lindsay Mixer, hello. Hello, Drew. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark. How are you today?
2: I am doing great. I am very excited that it is a weekend.
1: Right? It is a weekend. Yes. And awesomely, whenever this comes out, it will also be a weekend. So even better, oh. awesome, great, yay. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, but can you, so for anybody listening who, who, if you could introduce yourself to the audience, tell us a bit about yourself, who you are and what you do. Yeah,
2: um, so my name is Lindsay Mixer. I have a master's degree in sociology, a master's of education in human sexuality and am in the process of getting my PhD in human sexuality. Um, I do a lot of work around disability, uh, particularly developmental disability in human sexuality. And uh, I did my master's thesis on how people use fan fiction to explore their sexuality.
1: Yeah. And I saw you the way we met. I saw you at a conference we did in being streamed to Ireland right that's where <laughs> yes. I was yeah and I, I was asked to speak for a minute and I saw your thing and I was like we need to become best friends uh, how do I get you on my show because I saw your like five minute quick read about what you were doing and I was like that's really cool the idea of fan fiction in disability so we're going to talk a lot about that today too because it's fun and different and something we don't often pair a disability with um so that's really exciting but tell me about before we get into that can you describe your disabilities and how they impact your day today
2: yeah so um I
1: have multiple disabilities uh cool all the the cool kids have more than one
2: yeah yeah who only has one disability
1: it's like it's like Pokemon Pokemon. you gotta catch them all man you gotta um so I have
2: fibromyalgia uh, I am autistic, and I have PTSD and anxiety and all of those things that affect me. Amazing. Yes. Um, so my fibro these days, I am thankfully medicated. So.
1: I've heard that it's a bitch to get a fibro diagnosis, and it's a bitch to get medicated properly. And I've never understood, like, What kind of meds do you need to have to manage fibro properly?
2: Yeah. So the diagnosis thing is real. I started getting symptoms of fibro when I was 16. Um, I got diagnosed at 28. Wow. Yeah. Uh, And I'm 31 now. So I've been diagnosed and getting medicated for a few years. I actually found the medication that I found was I got it from a roommate that I had originally who had lupus and she had gabapentin and just gave it to me when I was in a really bad pain flare one day and it was like a miracle drug it was so good so when I got diagnosed I asked the doc the doctor asked me like what medication I'd been on I said like nothing officially but I was taking gabapentin uh illegally and she was like no that's great that's a great medication so essentially it's a um it is a it is meant as a seizure medication. Yep. Um, and but it also does things for like pain and other neurological conditions because fibro is a neurological disorder. Basically, my nerves freak out sometimes for no reason. Uh, particularly my legs, I get really bad restless leg syndrome. And mine has always been centered in my joints, which is partly why it was really difficult to diagnose me because my doctors thought that I might have like rheumatoid arthritis or something. Um, yeah. So, and they also like doctors didn't take me seriously because I am a woman. And when women are in pain, they're like, well, that's who you get for being a woman. So Don't
1: you love our medical system? It's so great.
2: Love it. Love it. Um, so that was partially like, I started having doctors take me seriously when I was like 25. And I had someone. Wow, like, you
1: you had already. So that would that would mean that you were looking for help from for nine years without being believed.
2: Uh, let's see, sixteen to twenty five. Yeah, yeah, nine years without wow. being believed. And then <laughs> I lucked into finding some doctors that did believe me, and um, they tried all of these tests and nothing came back. And at the time, fibro was only diagnosed through or like primarily diagnosed through the uh paint the pressure test so they like put deep pressure onto these different points of your body and if you react that meant you have fibro i didn't react so they said well you can't have fibro then
1: their tests are crap
2: (laughs) yeah like now they don't use that test that's not a good test for fibro because half the people don't respond to those pressure those trigger points, um, so yeah. So when I was when I was twenty eight and I had just moved to Philadelphia um, for a brief time. And they, and I found a really, really great doctor who managed to diagnose me properly and get me on medication.
1: Yay. That's amazing.
2: Yeah, and now my medication's starting to not work. So I have to get on a new medication. Oh
1: no. <laughs> it's the joy of, ha- I, I talked to a lot of people who are on multiple meds for multiple things and they say the same thing. They see for a while, it's great. And then very quickly or very slowly, you're like, something sounds like doesn't feel so good. I got to, I got to figure it out.
2: Yeah. I've been having really bad pain flares the last like four months um because my I, I'm also at the cap of the gabapentin uh so I can't get anymore <laughs> I yeah. can't get an increase in my medication um so they're starting me on amitriptyline Anyone fiber listening to this will probably be like I understand that um, oh, but it's sure. a it's a nighttime med that like helps relax your nerves and helps with pain and stuff so
1: Well, I hope for you that the new med journey is good. My fingers are crossed for you. Um, At the
2: very least, they're helping me sleep, which is a huge issue. That's good.
1: I mean, sleep is so tough for all of us with disabilities, especially with multiple disabilities. I have IBS and I'm up like two, three times a night, not even doing anything fun, but just up being like, everything hurts. I don't know why (laughs) I hurt. I don't feel good. It hurts.
2: Yes. I don't know about with yours, but like I can't sit still when I'm in a pain flare, so I'm like yeah, constantly I know. moving. But then well, the, the moving hurts.
1: <laughs> I guess as a wheelchair user, I have to sit still, but it's mm-hmm. not super, like it isn't comfy. It's not comfy sitting. You're not like, oh yeah, this feels great. You're like, all right,
2: this hurts. Yeah, and then when you're the nerves in my legs are on fire, it's not great
1: in that moment either. Oh so. no, I'm sure it's uh, I'm sure it's not fun. So so you have fibro, and then how do your other disabilities play into all that
2: um so the autism obviously like I've had that my whole life uh but nobody knew when I was younger which has been difficult because again women tend young girls tend to not get diagnosed um with autism especially when I was little I was born in 1989 so the 90s was not a great time for autistic people that weren't white boys basically yeah <laughs> um so I figured that out when I was 26 um I had a therapist who like three sessions and she was like has anyone ever talked to you about autism um and that's how I found out (laughs) that I'm autistic I just it more plays into like social things I can be a little awkward I don't understand a lot of social I don't understand when people are flirting with me so when it comes like sexuality stuff I'm like I I don't it flies over my head I don't understand
1: yeah I mean um, me neither I mean I mean <laughs> and I don't identify as autistic but me neither wow like you're flirting what why what's going on I'm so confused why why
2: yeah my friends I was like you know they were flirting with you I'm like they were just being nice what are you talking about
1: yeah you that's silly it's it's fine it's fine no, I get it I get it
2: yeah and I'm just frustrated because I'm like no but they were cute I would have had sex with them I'm so yeah I had I
1: known and I figured it out I would have been on to this for sure you know I fully understand and then yeah. you said so you said um you said fibro autism and
2: then PTSD. yeah that is um I had a medical emergency when I was 25 this is part of what jump-started me actually getting like help for my multiple conditions i had a blood clot uh in my leg that broke off and traveled into my lungs
1: oh that's fun
2: yeah um it was a saddle embolism i very nearly died uh like it was a if i didn't if the doctors told my parents afterwards that if i hadn't gone into the hospital when i did i would not have woken up the next morning
1: oh wow
2: yeah like it was that close um I was on vacation with my parents at the time. We were at a Shakespeare festival in Oregon and it really sucked because it really ruined the vacation. Um,
1: well, I guess you could say you could have been or not been if you didn't go to the hospital. I tried to make a cheap Shakespeare joke there. I don't know the word. <laughs> um, um, so I'm glad, I'm glad you went in because it's, that's scary. Wow.
2: Yeah, and it's it was difficult because as someone with who had chronic pain, I didn't realize what was happening because part like a blood clot causes pain. Yeah. But I was in pain all the time. So for me, part of the reason why I didn't go in sooner is because it wasn't abnormal. And I was yeah. just like, oh well, I'm having a bad pain day. Um, and I just was walking around. I, I use a cane sometimes when my legs are working up. Um, which I haven't had to do in the last couple of years with my pain medication. But before I was, I used a cane all the time because sometimes my hips decide that they don't want to work or something. I'll be walking along and they will, my leg will give out on me. <laughs> so canes are useful. Um, but yeah, I thought that I was just having a pain attack and then my, my toes starting going numb in that leg. And we... Went to the nearest emergency room and they did an ultrasound and found like a massive blood clot <laughs>
1: in there. Wow. Wow.
2: Yeah. So it's like, it's just something that when you're already in pain, it just confounds like other issues that could. Yeah. Come yeah.
1: It's hard to like, it's hard. You, how do you know? Because your body's always hurting. So you're like, I'm fine. I'll be fine.
2: Yeah. So now I know because it was a slightly different type of pain, but it's, it's hard to describe. But I would say like anyone listening to this who takes estrogen, be careful <laughs> and wear compression socks when you travel. Compression
1: uh, That's a great period.
2: Yeah, that's that's it. what they think caused the blood clot. They couldn't find any other reason for me to have gotten that. But I was on birth control. Wow. So, yeah. I'm There's no longer allowed to be on ever again. So fun, mm-hmm.
1: fun, fun. Um, totally not a question I wrote down, but how does that, how would that play into like you wanting to, sexual partners, sexual safety, sexual health?
2: Yeah. So I actually, I don't want kids. I've never wanted kids even when I was a kid. Uh, so I actually got sterilized after which,
1: my cho- choice you chose yeah that? okay good yeah
2: okay, I, I know that it's, just, it's a tricky thing for people with disabilities who are often forced to be sterilized yeah that's why I, that's why i was like my choice yeah yeah it was absolutely my choice i i don't want kids and i didn't want to risk it so i managed to i lucked out and found a gynecologist in i was living in portland oregon at the time um and they and she just was like okay you seem very certain so let's schedule this
1: all right. Wow. wow. Yeah.
2: Extremely lucky. I I consider myself very lucky in that because usually that does not happen.
1: Um. No. No. And usually, if we if we do talk about sterilization and disability, which believe me, in twenty twenty one we're still doing. Um, mm-hmm. It's not by choice and it's not with consent. And so the fact that you made that choice for yourself is a first that I've ever that I've heard. I'm sure there are others that have decided that for themselves, but it's rare. So thank you for sharing that.
2: Yeah, I think it helps too that like I'm my disability, like I'm still able to act able-bodied in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, and it's an invisible disability. So So
1: because you're able you're able passing, the doctors yeah. and the doctors weren't like, oh, they don't know what's going on. We're just gonna do it anyway. They're like, Oh no no, she's very sure. So mm-hmm. we're gonna do this. Yeah. Um, just generally, aside from all that, (laughs) aside from all the fun blood clots and, you know, almost dying and then being sterilized, um, how does your disability impact your, how do your disabilities play on your day-to-day, your life?
2: Oh, yeah. So it's just, um, in a lot of ways, it's the, the social part of being autistic is very difficult. I'm, I don't read people very well. I'm very awkward and i don't always know what to say but i also will like just plow ahead on what i'm saying whether it's it's being accepted or not um i will often i will be that person in the room who will talk about really uncomfortable things with people which sometimes works out and sometimes doesn't i find that when i tell people that i study sexuality they either want to like know more or don't want to know anything and then with autism there's this thing called special interests where we will just info dump on people yeah and so that can be very difficult where I'm trying to manage a social situation so that's like mostly day-to-day it's that I've got pretty bad social anxiety which the pandemic has not helped at all
1: really wow
2: I know. Shocking. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, I feel like I no longer know how to talk. Like I know even less how to talk to people.
1: I don't know how to be outside anymore. I went outside literally yesterday to go walking somewhere and I was walking next to people and we were both masked and everything's fine. And I was like, oh, people, this feels very weird. This just feels very strange. Yeah. I don't know what to do here. This is very weird. So it's like, get it a hundred percent. Yeah, Because the pandemic has lasted literally almost two years. I it just feels weird to be out of my house ever. I'm just like, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what yes. to do.
2: That is, that, I feel that a lot, or especially if I have to go on public transit. It's so, like, I already don't like public transit for the most part, because I don't like being touched by strangers. Yeah. Because autism. And now it's even worse, because I don't want any, like, even more don't want people in my personal space. So, um,
1: again, a question that I didn't write down, I'm just curious. If you don't like being touched by strangers, which is totally fine, how <laughs> how does hooking up work, or does that work that way for you? Oh
2: man, it is difficult. I want to do it more; like, I want to hook up more because I love sex. Um, but it's I generally my when I do it, I am intoxicated. Uh, so you can, like, which I know also has off, like like bad connotations, but I've it's fine for me like i i actually like it's it's i sorry i'm trying to think of how to phrase this um you're intoxicated,
1: but not to the point where it's dangerous for you or them say that again you're intoxicated but not to the point where it's like unsafe or where they could hurt you
2: yes exactly so it's like it's just enough to get me to relax and to get me to the point where i don't this the contact with someone i don't know very well doesn't like freak me out or cause pain because sometimes being touched like skin to skin contact with people I don't know can actually be painful because with autism there's a lot of sensory issues that come with it yep um so yeah I but I prefer like I can get a friend with benefits like someone that I know
1: (laughs) and I mean those are my jam like could somebody (laughs) I I really and I haven't I haven't had sex and got. 16 16 yeah, sixteen months now. It's it's been a while, and I'm I just cannot wait till we open things up here so I can get my dick on. But but I I understand. But I'm just so curious because like so much of our social situations are built on like oh you're a stranger I don't know you let's go back to my place and mess around and I'll never see you again bye. Like if you can, if you don't want to be touched or you have social anxiety, I'm also curious how um because you just mentioned like a lot of people with, with autism and who live with autism or who are t- who are autistic um info dump a lot does info dumping impact your like hookup skills like do you like what if somebody wants to hook up with you and they don't want to hear about all, whatever thing you're really really interested in like how do you
2: manage that oh my god i wish that i knew how to manage that i do not i think that <laughs> My, my biggest issue is that somebody will want to hook up with me. I won't read it as that. I'll read it as them being like nice and interested. And yeah. then, then I will keep talking and they will begin to think that I'm not interested in them.
1: Because you're just talking, but actually you're just nervous and trying to like, yeah. yeah.
2: And then, uh, and then nothing happens. And then like we go our separate
1: ways. So close. Um, what is the thing during a hookup that you would info dump on somebody that you love to talk about, but they may not want to talk about?
2: Oh my god, I honestly can talk about sex all day long, and surprisingly, when you're trying to have sex with someone, they don't want to talk about sex. They want to do. They
1: want to do it. They don't want to speak about it. They just want to do that. Yeah.
2: And I'm like, here's an interesting thing that I know that you might (laughs) also like to know about how your body works, like. Apparently that
1: is not. And they're like, I don't care. I just want to get down with you. Yeah. Well, I say you should find somebody who, who wants to who wants to be info dumped on because knowledge is power and knowledge is hot power too. So <laughs> find a friend Every, with benefits who wants to info dump together.
2: I agree completely. I think that uh, it needs to be. What's the term for that? People use sapiosexual into yeah. knowledge.
1: I mean, I, I with sabiosexual sexual, I feel so weird because that term has been used to like make disabled people feel like crap. Because if you're not, you know, if you're not "quote unquote" intelligent or whatever the hell that means, then I've seen I've seen people use that term in such weird ways, and like now, men be really gross with it. And be like, I only like people that are really smart. It's like, well, you're gross.
2: Ew. It's also very telling of how our society judges what is useful intellect versus not useful right there's different types of intellect and we don't often appreciate that
1: like we judge the academia as like useful information when really if I go back to my if I think back to my college time there's so much shit that I looked at that I'll never look at again that I'll never refer to that I won't even care about and somehow because I said I went to college I was like oh wow but if I was like I just read that in in a Buzzfeed quiz, people will be like, yeah, that knowledge is not important.
2: <laughs> yes, that is. Yeah, that's very true. That's.
1: Um, I definitely want to talk to you more about sex. I do, but I want to shift to my next question, which is the thing about fan fiction that you said. I'm really excited about this because we never talk about disability representation in fanfiction, at least not that I've seen. And it's not, that's not something really that I've ever thought about until I heard your speech at that conference in Ireland. Um, can you talk to me a little bit more about disability representation in fanfiction and why it's important?
2: Yeah, so fan fiction in general is amazing. I love it, I love fandom. Um, it's something that, just to give any listeners who don't know much about fanfiction, a quick overview. It's uh, it started mostly in the 1960s and 70s from Star Trek, which was amazing. Um, and people would write pieces based off the characters. So and a lot of it was slash fiction where Kirk and Spock would have sex, which is yeah, I'm there for that. Chef's kiss.
1: Because um, didn't Kirk and Spock hate each other in real life?
2: No, they were like best friends.
1: Oh, I was thinking, I was thinking of Kirk and um. And, uh Sulu. Yeah, that could be. Uh,
2: Shatner has some weird issues. Shatner,
1: <laughs> I have feelings about. <laughs> as a fellow Canadian, I have feelings about Shatner being Shatner. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, that's that's fair. I just I know that he I don't know I I think that him and Niwa didn't get along for a little while, and they started. To. Yeah,
1: I heard they had some beef.
2: Yeah, but Shatner also had beef with like. the fans of star trek yeah what are you doing william that doesn't make any sense um but with fan fiction one of the great things about it is that we can take these characters and worlds that we love and write in representation that isn't there so people traditionally this has been done through like queerness so making characters queer instead of just having straight characters all the time um which is amazing But with disability, you're right in saying that people don't talk about it much. There's not much information on it. People don't study it as often, but it's a way for people who have disabilities or people who have friends with disabilities to kind of explore what it's like in a safe environment. right? So you can explore the good sides and the bad sides of a disability in a way that has no real world consequences yeah, for you.
1: But also has like, not a consequence, but does have an impact because people will read that and be like, cool, there's representations of me there. Even if they're not great, at least I'm there.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and one of the great things about fan fiction is that it's so community driven. And so people can read it and they can say, hey, this wasn't a great representation of this disability, you should probably read more on it. And some authors don't respond well to that sort of thing, obviously, but some do. And they learn and grow and they write a disabled character better. Um, Or if they're disabled themselves, they can put a really interesting like author's note about how they're, they're writing the character to share their disability. And they're saying, this is my experience with this disability And I just want to explore it. And then other people who don't have it can read and say, oh, I understand that now. I understand what it's like to live day to day or to have sex when you have that disability and how it might impact you. And I think it really offers a way for this free and community-driven learning environment for everyone involved.
1: What kind of, like, do you have any examples of, like, disability fan fiction you can, like, briefly point us to or share.
2: Yeah, actually I had a I have to find it. I should have pulled this up already. I don't know what I was thinking.
1: It's all good. There um is, take your time.
2: There is let's See. So there's a study that I had read that just basically looked at um, three different fan writings where they made the character have a disability. Yeah. Um, Okay, so one of the ones that I read, this actually all comes from I I read like five different journal articles from one journal. It's a Canadian journal of disability studies. Yeah, Canada. Yeah, um, and this one was titled Gimp Sue Gets the Girl.
0: It was My about gosh.
2: disability and Twilight fanfiction. fiction. Um, so it was kind of a take on the Mary Sue, which has been talked down of about, but I love it. I love the idea of a Mary Sue where it's basically a, a woman, usually a, like a young woman, a teenage girl, puts herself into that character and kind of reshapes the character to be more like herself. Yeah, or creates a new character into the world that is her. And so gets like
1: her. the plain Jane takes takes herself and is like, I'm gonna put myself in this world and make the, all these stories about this girl that's me.
2: Yeah, but it's and it's a really cool way to like build your self esteem and explore things that you can't in the real world. And a lot of people talk down about it. I think mostly because girls tend to do it and we hate anything girls do Um, but it's a really great way for people to learn more about themselves and explore their own personality and in this one they the character was autistic I believe it's this one and was able and the author just talked so much in the author notes about how about her own autism and how she dealt with the world and related to everything and gave a really interesting look into what it is like to be autistic and be a teenager and trying to get around everything does that make sense
1: yeah so she used twilight as like to anchor to be like if i were bella i would feel like this
2: yeah and you find that in all sorts of different ones it's fan fiction is a really great subversive world where you can take something that's popular and remake it into something that more uh exemplifies your lived experience.
1: Yeah, it more represents who you are.
2: Yeah, because there's not a lot of representation of disability in media. We're real low. I pulled up the thing for this, actually. I'm just jumping around all of your questions for
1: me. No worries. But... <laughs> no
2: worries. It's all good. It's all good. Um, But it's it's like the... So in media, this is from the GLAD studies that they do every yep. year on the status of media. And this one said that in broadcast television, 3.5% of characters are disabled. And in streaming television, only 1% are disabled.
1: And most of them are not even played by disabled people either.
2: Yeah, most of them are not played by actual disabled people.
1: I can think um, of two, right? Two characters right now that are actually disabled. Ryan O'Connell, special. I, I mentioned him at least once an episode. So, hi, Ryan. Um, and also, I'm thinking of someone who was on the L word, The Next Generation.
2: Mm. Uh, J- I haven't watched that yet, but yes, that sounds right.
1: It's super. And there's good. also,
2: I mean, in movies, there's um, the deaf girl in The, the Quiet, Quiet Place. Place. Um, and there's, there, they're getting a little better i'm seeing a little more deaf representation and a little more wheelchair user representation the autism rep is getting a little bit better but it's still kind of awful uh do we wanna it's Lynn all based... white boys still i want
1: it's white boys or it's sia making a character that nobody wanted <laughs> yeah Fuck that man yeah uh, nope i have feelings about that that go far beyond this conversation. Yeah. Um, um, but tell me more about. Let me get my questions. Pretend to be professional. So we talked a little bit about media. So, but as a disabled person who writes fanfic, if you were to write a fanfic of your favorite thing and include a disabled character, what, who, what would you do?
2: Oh my gosh, I'm not gonna lie. I would probably write a fanfic of Mash.
1: Oh my because god. Because I'm secretly yes. a
2: 80 year old man.
1: <laughs> yes i'm here
2: for this i love mesh so much and they do play around in that show with the psychological effects of war yeah um the the last episode famously deals with the hawkeye having a ptsd breakdown um and i think that that's awesome i would probably I would honestly probably write a fanfic of Radar being autistic because he has strong autistic energy.
1: True, Vex. <laughs> I am also an 80-year-old man, so I watch things like Golden Girls, all that stuff from like 40 years ago that nobody cares about anymore. I'm like, yes, I will sit now and watch this. It's great. It's amazing. Why can't they make more TV like this? I would honestly, if we're going back, if we're going back to like the classic TV, I would go. F- to Mary Tyler Moore, and I would make Mary Tyler Moore be a wheelchair user. Nice, I like, like it. How cool would it have been to see a wheelchair user in the '70s in an office as a woman trying to be a wheelchair-using woman in an office trying to do what she did?
2: Like, mm-hmm. We would. Mary Tyler Moore would rock it. Like you
1: know, I mean, I mean she was already amazing. But could you imagine if she was a wheelchair? Like, how cool would that be? So. Or like, you know, the Golden Girls could be could talk about more about their disability. And they did a little bit in their show about like getting older and needing help and stuff. But it was always a bit of a joke. There was always comedy behind it. And I would love to see those characters that we love actually deal with stuff like disability stuff in a way that was a bit more raw. What mm-hmm. do you think as somebody who like is into is into disability media, what do you think of like shows like um show, what was it called? shows like it was on abc a couple years ago disability and i know it, and i've said it before and i forget what it is oh what is it called the guy that the, had the son was in a wheelchair and the family well i don't know
2: this show i can't
1: i can't have mini driver in it and i can't mm. remember but
2: yeah, I don't, I honestly, I had to, but with all of my schooling, I kind of lost track of TV for a while there. So,
1: okay. okay, so let's on. I'm
2: going gonna, I'm gonna to try and find it. Mini Driver, you said.
1: Yeah, Mini Driver ABC. Who I love. She played uh, the mom of the disabled boy. His name was JJ. My friend consulted on the show. I shouldn't know what it's called and I
2: forget what it is right now. Uh, do you remember what years it was on?
1: Uh, I want to say 2018 to just last
2: year, two years ago. Speechless,
1: that's right. Did you ever get a chance to sit and look at that?
2: I have not had a chance to see that. Okay,
1: so that question is helping totally you yeah. <laughs> so, but I will okay. say,
2: so I okay, I will say one thing that really really bumps me in disability and media that has disabled characters. Yes, it's driving me bonkers. People need to fix this, and yes, I am calling out. Shadow and Bone specifically right now. Have them walk with a cane properly. I'm sorry, after you plays Kaz, you're <laughs> using it wrong. He's walking, he uses the cane on the same leg as his hurt, like the hurt the hurt leg. That's not how you walk with a cane. Yeah, unless you want to really up your back. Yeah. That's not how it goes. Work on it.
1: <laughs> so okay, let's tell you that. I only watched half an episode of that show and I was confused right away. I was like, what is happening? Nobody gave me any backstory. I'm so confused. Uh, so um, if you could turn anything else into fan fiction with disability, what would you do? What other show would you, other than MASH, what would you?
2: Um, honestly, I think that I would turn so just so many shows to have more disabled characters i want and and i think too one of the big things would be shows with people with multiple disabilities yeah and and understanding that having a mental illness can also be disabling in many yeah. ways and a lot of people with disabilities also have mental illnesses because of the way we're treated in society
1: 100 percent.
2: so i think that like i would want to take that kind of look, or like I would love to have. Like, okay, I still watch Grey's Anatomy. I know it's been on for three thousand. So years do I.
1: Now. It's been on forever, and it's so stupid It's so silly now.
2: Yeah, um, but the, and they're trying so hard to be like woke and social justicey, and I'm like, where are disabled characters? And Where's also, where
1: is? Can we just all I'll be want to see is you fuck. And fall out of love we don't want to see, i mean i'm glad you're trying to be woke i know i know what you're trying to do here but that's not why any of us watch your show okay we watch your show to be transported away through all this for like one second
2: we watch the show for the boning and yeah. all the pretty boys yeah where
1: are um, all the pretty boys yeah prettiest
2: boy just left and i'm very upset. i
1: it. know i was really upset about that too
2: but also they they bring in all of these really great characters. That are of multiple, you know, trying to be as as representative as possible. But where's the disabled characters? They had once a character with Asperger's, and they treated her like shit.
1: Yeah, they did. And they had they had you know they had um, Arizona had her had was an amputee, but the actress kept forgetting which leg was hurt was chopped up was not there anymore, so she oh, kept. God she kept, and I'm my friend who also watched, watches Greatest Anatomy religiously Hi Lauren, said, you know we, we talk about it constantly, she's like, she never did it right, she always forgot and there was a couple of scenes where she would like walk normally and they'd be like, are you supposed to be are you supposed to not have a leg?
2: What's happening here? And also, I I'm really tired of the of the Uh, plot line of having a character become disabled and having it be this thing where they turn into a really mean person for a while. Yeah. Like, okay, you become just have them go into therapy immediately to deal with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, or have like half an episode where they're mean, and then then we don't have to see anymore because if, and I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it takes twenty five minutes for you to be over disability if you become disabled. I'm saying like, the way that it's shown on television is like being becoming disabled. Turns you into this bitter, horrible human, which is not at all the truth. I no. have fr- I have friends that have been on the show that have had horrific, dis- disabling things happen to them, and they're the happiest, kindest human beings in the history of the world. And it's like, well, if TV shows you that being disabled is bad all the time, that's all you're ever going to see. Hmm. Yeah. Like, to
2: be becoming disabled is the worst thing that could happen to you. And I think that what we need more in media is people I think that people who become disabled in many ways need time to grieve yeah because you're that's what I needed when I started becoming when I started experiencing fibromyalgia was I just needed to accept that there were things that I wasn't going to be able to do anymore and I needed time to grieve that and I think that in shows if they just let the characters grieve and grief does not always come out as bitter anger
1: no sometimes Um, it comes out like maxing out your credit cards and like buying silly things and like you know going on trips and like yeah
2: completely ignoring it and be like no i'm fine i can do whatever the fuck i want yeah there's multiple ways that they could do that and i would like to see that more i would also like to see creators be brave and have disabled characters fucking that would be great
1: well not that i want to bring up ryan Ryan o'connell for like the fifth millionth time but If you watch special, he fucks a lot in that show,
2: so it's pretty great. I do need to watch special. That's on my list. I just yes, I should do that this summer.
1: If you want to, if you want a watching partner, I've seen it all and I've like I've watched all the all the episodes. But I would be, I would happily dive into that for you again because it's fun.
2: Yeah, it looks fun, and I've heard that it has really great rap for. And I just yeah, you know what. I am committing on this show. Do I am it. going to watch it. Do I'll it. live tweet it, I guess. Amazing. I'll
1: do that. I'm there for that. I'm going to retweet <laughs> your tweets because it's great. It's amazing. Um, there's something that I wanted to ask you. Oh, disability grief is one of my favorite topics because we never fucking talk about it. And it's something that is like really a, a thing. And I've been talking about it more and more on this show because I just I think it's important that we like unpack things and talk about it so you mentioned when you were dealing with fibro and kind of becoming coming to terms with that and realizing that was disabling you you grieved a lot how did your grief manifest itself and how do you express that
2: a lot of it did come out as me trying to just ignore it it was very much in the just if i keep ignoring it it'll go away sort of thing i had things that i really wanted to do like i was I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so I was a huge nature person. I grew up in the Seattle area of Washington State. Nice. And we would go up into the mountains a lot. You
1: literally grew up in Grey's Anatomy. You literally grew up where it's at. Yes. I, yeah.
2: <laughs> I grew up in the world of Grey's Anatomy and Fraser.
1: Amazing. Did you also yeah. love Fraser? Because. Yes. Me, me too. I watched it this morning. I, I, I watched it on a loop. It actually is one of the shows that helps me fall asleep, weirdly enough. So I watch it all the time.
2: Yep, it's, I have shows that I watch to calm down, and Frazier is one of them.
1: Me too, yes. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in, in the Seattle area, and we would go hiking all the time, and I played soccer as a kid, like for 15 years, I was really into that, and then as I got older, I started getting in, like I really wanted to get into roller derby and things, but I was in so much pain and the pain was getting progressively worse. It started like in my hips and then it went to my ankles and then my shoulders. And I also, when I started my bachelor's degree I was going to be a wildlife ecologist. I wanted to study wolves in the field and I couldn't and I was just, it was becoming too much the pain. I couldn't be out like that, Um, especially in the cold because cold really affects my fibro and wolves are usually more active in the wintertime. So yeah, so I had to like change my entire life plan. I I switched to English with a photography minor and then I fucked around at Disneyland for a few years and all of that. And I just had to completely change my life and accept that there were things I couldn't do. And it was really tough. Getting diagnosed was really helpful Because even though I knew logically something was wrong, when you're told over and over again by doctors that either nothing is wrong or they don't know what's wrong, you start to feel like you're going insane.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they treat you like you are going insane because, like, like not the same thing. And I have the privilege of being read as a cis male person. The more and more I do this, I the more and more I'm like, fuck that. I'm a they. Leave me alone. But um, but I have the privilege of being read as a cis male. So, you know, I I am not dismissed as easily say, as you would be if you went into an office. But when I say I have IBS, they go, oh, no, right, you're fine. Don't worry about it. It's, nothing is there. You're fine. It's just IBS. Just take, take a pill and you'll be fine. And I'm always like, fuck you. Something is really wrong. Can you please do it again? And they're like, oh, no, no, you're good. Don't worry. Or I'll do the thing where I'm like, I'm not going to go into the doctor's office because I don't want to go all the way there to have them just dismiss me. So I'll just sit in my room and be hurting and it's fine.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my life a lot. It was just, I'll, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm fine. Don't, yeah. don't worry. I'll be good. I, don't worry. And I stopped being able to exercise and that was really hard. I think part of my grieving process was like, A, getting help for my fibro. B, getting therapy. This is really important. I'm a big proponent of therapy if you can, if you have the time and the money, please do it. And then also just kind of reshaping how I wanted my life to be and accepting that I had limitations. Um, and, And being able to, so I kind of made up a plan of I'm going to do this thing that I know could cause me really bad pain. So I'm going to do, These other things that I know will help me with it. So, for example, I do actually play roller derby
1: now. Oh, good. Please tell me your name is Fibroler. Please tell me (laughs) that's what it is. If it's not, could it be? My name
2: is Lady Mixerlot.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Yes. (laughs) I may I make a suggestion. You could also say you could also be Lady Cripsalot. I could be oh
2: that's a good one I, I like mean, I went with Mixer a lot because of my last
1: name yeah and but I
2: do like
1: it My I think it's the Crips a lot rhymes with Mix a lot so they're <laughs> getting sort of the same but take it do whatever you want to do with it it's okay um <laughs> on a completely again a question I did not write down how does roller derby yeah tell me more about how roller derby impacts your like all of that because yeah
2: so it's been actually really helpful in the like understanding how to take care of my body and and because i really wanted to play and i was like okay if i'm going to play what do i need to do to make sure that my fibro isn't too bad so i started doing a few things a meds helped amazingly um b i wear now these like compression gloves
1: i saw them and i was like cool yes
2: they're very useful to my fingers not hurting um all the time and i wear compression socks which a lot of fibro people also find very helpful because it kind of soothes your nerves.
1: And, you know, prevents from blood clots and prevents from...
2: Yeah, it helps with a lot of things. So I have some yeah. daily... I, just a plug, Comrade socks are the best source for compression socks.
1: Not sponsored, but Comrade, if you want to sponsor me, I'm a disability podcast. Oh, my right yeah. God.
2: Yes, comrades should totally sponsor you because they're amazing and, and I think they're really helpful for a lot of disabilities.
1: And so. it would be great for me because I have poor circulation in my feet because I don't walk, so... Yeah.
2: Um, um, anyway, so, and then, like, I have uh, exercises that I try to do every day to help keep my joints from getting tight because the pain causes my muscles to tighten up, which causes more pain... <laughs> and can cause problems when I'm skating. So I do like regular everyday physical therapy to try and keep myself limber basically. And then I can go out and skate. Um, I'm actually starting physical therapy again next week because I really need to work on my ankle strength, which is not great. I broke my ankle once and it's been fucked up ever since, so. Fun. Yeah. So that's kind of like, like fibro was really, or not fibro, uh, so the derby was really great because it gave me a focus to try and get better for, or not better, but try to manage the pain for. And luckily, unlike some fibro people, I do not have contact pain flares. So some people with fibro, if they get hit, it's it's immediate pain.
1: Yeah.
2: I do not have that. Thank
1: oh, them. so well, they can, can like they can, can like check can you in the boards and you'll be okay for a little bit.
2: Yeah, um, and we're padded up. You there's very strict rules. You cannot be skating without all of your pads and helmet on. So, I'm not too worried about that.
1: Amazing. Let's move into the sexier part of the talk, because yeah, I know now from talking to you, you love sex. So I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Um, what was my question? I'm wondering. Tell me a bit, a little bit about your experiences of the intersection with disability and sexuality because it's so different for everybody. Everyone has a different story, and I'd love to hear yours. Other than, other than what you've already said, which is like you get nervous and don't know how to read cues. But yeah. it, same, same,
2: same, same. So. Um. Yeah, so I, I'm not going to lie. I just masturbate a lot is mostly what I do. Um, I have lots of toys. My favorite thing is finding disability-friendly toys to use.
1: Well, you know, I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but my sister and I have started a sex toy company called Handy, and we're creating the first hands-free disability toy, and it'll be on the market in hopefully for pre-sales in August oh my god it's pre-sales my birthday month my birthday is in august so you i mean so as soon as we have it going i'll send you a link because we're
2: creating one right now that's amazing i love that yes oh yeah so i really like to just find i particularly the ones usually what i what i end up getting is the ones that have the the at the end is like a circle that you can stick your fingers through and control the toy that way yeah Those are amazing for me because, like, I don't have to hold them with my hands because my fingers do not always work.
1: Well, guess what? Our toy, you don't have to hold it all. It's meant to be hands-free entirely.
2: So you're going to – it'll be great. We need more hands-free toys in the world. So I love this.
1: Yes, we do.
2: Um, But in terms of, like, sex with other people, usually what it comes down to is, like, what can my body handle? Because I do – my fibro has – really fucked up my hips and it's a lot better now that i've been like doing physical therapy and getting them to like loosen up and i can do more things but generally it's like the guy tries to get me to be on top i'm like this is not going to happen for more than like a minute because i cannot my hips cannot handle this it is so painful
1: as shakira once said hips don't lie and that is the truth
2: if you're hurting the hips don't lie no no I had a when I was in so when I lived in Los Angeles California I made friends with this guy who was a massage therapist and we ended up being fuck buddies and I was like that was the best time in my life because I would get massages and then we would have sex and I would feel great
1: that's my dream that's my dream like the fan, you know. Speaking of fan fiction, I would love to write a dirty, naughty fan fiction of a physical therapist who, like, does rehab, but then it's like, hey, I think you are really hot. let's go fuck. Like, I don't know. It's a dream that I've had since I was like 16 and hormonal. I would
2: love for a hot physical therapist to do me. I have definitely read. I don't. I haven't read a physical therapist, but a massage therapist. I have definitely read that fan fiction. It exists in the world
1: amazing it's um
2: beautiful i think that there should be more obviously though in real life unless you are also paying them for that service massage therapists and physical therapists there are yeah
1: there <laughs> are there are clear boundaries that need to be happening there of
2: course but, but if we're like fantasy.
1: yeah if we're just talking plain old fantasy i that's what i want
2: yeah <laughs> it's my dream and um, I had that dream for a solid six months and then you got a girlfriend and they were all monogamous. I was like,
1: oh, uh, that's so that's close.
2: Everything.
1: And monogamy is so 2019.
2: Like, what are right? I mean, come on. Come yeah, on. Part of my thing, too, this is, it was into like how it impacts my sex life, like my disabilities, is that I'm also aromantic where I do not experience romantic attraction. I do not want to date people. I do not want to be in a relationship like that. Um, And I find that most people, even the ones who say that they don't want that either, end up wanting that.
1: They totes do.
2: I can't. This is a line. We are just sex friends. I don't know why you're trying to romance me right now.
1: But I think, you know, I think it's cool to have you say that because most people who are aromantic don't come out... um, as aromantic because we're supposed to like we're supposed to have all these ideals about romance Um, and like the fact that you just did is really powerful I think more disabled aromantic people should be talking about that great that's awesome
2: yes I think so too I think people in general should be talking about aromanticism we're finally starting to see like studies on asexuality but I want studies on aromanticism
1: by the time this comes out it'll be long past uh, (laughs) on the time of recording tomorrow I speak with somebody on the show who is asexual and disabled. And we have a whole discussion about what asexuality means to Jojo is their name. So mm-hmm. you'll hear that if you listen to the show tomorrow. But if you're if you listening to this now, you heard it months ago. Uh, <laughs>
0: um,
1: but is there any other parts of your sexuality that, that you want to share around disability?
0: Um.
2: Yeah, I think a huge part is just that, that intersection of my sexuality with my developmental disability, autism, with the fact that I do like having sex with people can make it very difficult. Because I think that sometimes when people are flirting, they're, what they're trying to convey is a romantic vibe which, yeah. I, which I completely do not understand. And so I think that's part of it. Like, honestly, like my, my sex life has been a lot lesser than I dreamed it be when I was a kid because it's just me very difficult. too, to,
1: because it's yeah. so wrapped up into, oh, I want to romance you when you're like, I just want to fuck, okay? Yeah,
2: like, can like, you not can you just... And then also not understanding for so long that I was autistic and why I would like shy away from people when they tried to touch me now I understand. Oh, it's 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 the sensory issue that I'm yeah. having. I can handle that more. I can I can compartmentalize it and control it. Whereas when I was younger, I couldn't as much, and so that also made it very difficult to engage in sex because people took yeah. my shine away from the touch as me not wanting anything from them so it's like, super
1: you know? it's super complicated which leads into my next question perfectly you and i didn't understand i don't think you mentioned when we first started talking when you first started doing the questionnaire that you were autistic so i was very curious when you said oh, i'm gonna do my dissertation in september on the, soci- the sociosexual attitudes of autistic people and sex and i was like cool uh, or no no what was it autistic people in fan fiction
2: um yeah so it's uh I've actually read autistic people in fan fiction studies, which is really cool. And that's been part of my fan fiction studies. Um, the autism part, I'm really looking at how the, a person's sexuality and like, and I mean the full scope of their sexuality. So that's how their, their actions around sex, their um, sexual identity, their gender identity their, their feelings about sex, everything like that, how autism might shape that over the life. Like what effect does being autistic have on your sexual, socio-sexual development? I say socio-sexual to mean you're, like you're social because sexuality is also social. Yeah. How we are raised and the people we are raised around very much influences our sexuality. I also come from a sociological background so I'm always going to bring the social into it. Um, whereas most of my peers bring in psychology, I'm more focused on, on our social relations to people. And autism too is a social disorder. It's a social developmental disorder more than anything else. Cause it doesn't affect really other parts of our lives. It's our, our social development is done in a different rate and in different ways
1: than neurotypical people yeah um there's so much i want to unpack there and again i could sit with you for like five more hours and just like i, I literally want to sit with you for more hours after this and like wow we should write a bloody paper on all this so it's, it's very it's very interesting to me um why do you think bringing that and i did academia for 10 years and like longer than that i did it for a very long time so i know how ridiculous academia can be why do you think it's important to bring stuff like this and study and 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 voices like this and papers like this into academia
2: i think it's really important because most of the research into autism is not being done by autistic people and that's something that i will be very upfront with
1: (laughs) i just need you to say that one more time super loud because it's important for me to hear what you just said what was that
2: uh most of the studies into autism are not done by autistic people
1: yeah that's a problem fam that's 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 the problem
2: yeah it's a huge issue and most of the studies into autism don't actually talk to autistic people instead they are talking to the teachers parents psychologists etc of autistic people and seeing like how is this autistic people getting along in the world but they're only asking the person's parents
1: yeah
2: which is extremely frustrating
1: it's Um, like the academic version of the inspo porn like when we won't talk to you but we'll talk to everybody around you
2: yeah and so what I really want to bring into this is I'm going to be doing uh interviews with actual autistic people talking to them about their their history and experiences around sexuality because that's another thing is that people don't want to talk about autism and sex. Our view of autism is still very much someone who doesn't function in the way that neurotypical people expect a person to function. So it's yeah. very much like they're nonverbal or they they need care of some sort. Um, a lot of people think that autism like you grow out of it because they only ever see autism represented by white. Children like white yeah. male children, so they think a it doesn't affect people of color. That's another thing I really want to work on in this study is making sure I get autistic people of color. And then they don't think that it affects women. And then they don't think that it continues on into adulthood. Like they think the autism, either the autism or the autistic person just poof disappears.
1: That's how I feel about CP and like my physical disability. And that like it's all you get all the support when you're it's like what, zero to eighteen. The minute you hit 18, what do you mean you have disabilities? Figure it out yourself bye. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. It's it's as soon as you turn into a legal adult, you are no longer considered a person who is disabled or needs support. Like you're supposed to just get better.
1: Yeah, like what? No.
2: Yeah. And then also another issue is that a lot of autistic studies only look at people who have been diagnosed, which is really limiting. So that's something that I'm gonna fight for in my dissertation proposal is to do is to include people who do not have a formal diagnosis because people without formal diagnoses are usually women, black, indigenous, and people of color. Um, They might have other disabilities and they were just overlooked by the system. Um, They might be quote unquote, higher functioning, which is a bullshit term in and of itself. So they're missed out a lot in studies. And I think that what we know about autism is just severely limited because we are only including people who were diagnosed as children, and
1: we're also only including white men.
2: Yeah, or yeah. Boys. Well, the only including white men is a result of only including people who were diagnosed as children. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a just it's a huge problem that I really want to work on and get more experience, like uh, get more out there about it. It's also there's a bit of a selfish thing in that I want to learn more about myself this process right i'm an autistic person who has a sexuality and getting to talk to other autistic people about theirs is very helpful and i hope that autistic people can read this paper or i'll write a book about it i don't fucking know but um <laughs> can, can look at it and see it themselves and understand themselves better through that process
1: amazing so i had a final question but we have talked so much, I'm not going to even bother with that one, because we have said so many things about stuff, which is great. Um, how do the people get a hold of you?
2: Oh, yeah. So you can find me on Twitter. Um, it's Lady Mixer a lot. <laughs> um that is probably the best way to find me. You can also find me on my websites. Um, oh, also going to plug, because I completely forgot. I am working with a graphic designer on creating a book that is going to be a celebration of erotic fan fanfiction. Um, we're looking, we're hoping to open uh, submissions for that in August slash September, sometime around there. Um, I'll just
1: make a note and I'll just make sure that I am fully prepared.
2: Yeah, so we're going to look for, we want to include like pieces or excerpts of erotic fan fiction and then also include um, essays from people who write and read erotic fan fiction on their experience with that and why they do that. And we're going to hopefully have interviews with people who study this. Which was really cool. That's That's one big thing that I really want is to have some studies with that. And I really want to include um, people of all like walks of life, and I really want to make sure that we get some disability rep. We're also going to have we're hoping to have fan artists make art based off the explicit fan fiction oh, and have nice. that in the book as well. It's going to be kind of like a zine, kind of like an old old style fanzines.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: so we'll have the Kickstarter for that going hopefully by uh, sometime next next year. Uh, have a Kickstarter for that once we get submissions rolling and stuff, because nice. it's gonna be self-published and we need money for that, <laughs>
1: so. Oh, I know all about that.
2: Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you can find out more about that on my website. It's, um, if you look up my name, Lindsay Mixer. yeah, It should come up because I am just about the only Lindsay Mixer that you are going to find. Amazing. Uh, So.
1: But I will find the proper link and I'll make sure it's in the show notes somewhere for this. Uh, I will uh, will
2: send you the link to my homepage and you can find it there and then everyone can find me on Twitter where I talk about disability and sex and sled dogs because I'm really into mushing and
1: (laughs) and
2: writing in general. So
1: so many so many innuendos <laughs> so many um but Lindsay mixer this was such a great chat and so fun thanks so much for coming on today
2: yeah thank you for having me this has been amazing i've been following you for a while so i, I hope i i'm just so happy to be here and talking oh, to you
1: it was so. so great it was so much fun and i had such a good time um but we will talk to you very soon and when when things get rolling let me know and i'll um i will submit some stuff okay thank you Cool. All right, talk to you soon, Lindsay. Bye. Bye. I love the episodes the most where we can talk about stuff and really get into stuff, and I loved this episode with Lindsay. It was really great. It was really informative, and it was really um, it was really something different to talk about disability and fan fiction, and it, was, it really connected with my nerdy, nerdy self, and so I hope you enjoyed it. One of the things that I would love for you also to enjoy is I would love for you to be a part of our new series, This Shit is Real, where I talk about poo. I want to learn how poo affects you as a disabled person, and I'm doing this series, and we've had a couple episodes now, and it's one of my favorite series to do on this whole show, because I have been so ashamed about talking about my poo, and talking about my bowels, and talking about shit, that talking about it with other people has been really amazing, and if you want to be a part of the show, be sure to email us at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com using the subject line, This Shit Is Real, and we, we produce those episodes, those bonus episodes, every Thursday, right on the Disability After Dark feed, so you don't have to go anywhere, or do anything to listen. But I really, really enjoy these the most, and I'd love for you to be a part of it. So consider joining This Shit Is Real where we learn how poo affects you. Alright friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark in the books. Thank you so much for making this episode comfy, cozy, and crippled, and I hope you enjoyed sitting down with your favorite disabled person on the internet and talking all things disability. Thank you so much for being here. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to my website andrewgerza.com or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza1. If you want to be in the show, you can of course email us at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com with your disability story. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to support Disability After Dark, you can go to patreon.com disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month, up to $5 a month or more, or even a yearly amount if that works for your budget. We at Disability After Dark, me, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for supporting this show and Cripple Co. and all the things we do and tune in next week when we shine a light on another disability story, right here on Disability After Dark. Bye friends! Copyright notice. Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials Graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Cripplin Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.